Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. All right, we're going to do two sayings, and you can do both of them. They're interchangeable. That's what's great about it. The first one, Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. And then also, the second is like it. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And if you've ever been confused, like, which one is it? Is, which one do I say? Do I say has risen or is risen? Yeah, you can say either one because it's historical uh, and it's present reality. So you can say both. Um, and with all that, happy Easter. Yeah, there's a, I guess there's a liturgical response to that as well. You can just say it right back. Um, I will uh, make my standard Easter joke that I wear a suit for weddings, funerals, and resurrections. Uh, and so that's why I dressed up today. Uh, and my wife usually, my wife likes how I look in a suit. So every once in a while, um, but she's not feeling well today, but um, she, it's, yeah, thank you. Uh, not for me, I mean for her. The rest of the house is fine, I'm sure it's fine. Um, uh, today is going to be just a little bit different, um, and uh, I want to tell you, I want to promise you, I want to promise you, I've got the temperature down. These things are working. Uh, they're just, they're starting to get a little bit of the cool air in here, because I Whatever, however warm you are, I am warmer. Um, and, uh, but today's going to be a little bit different uh, in that we're celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And in our sermon series, uh, I believe, in the Apostles' Creed, we're going to be looking at, I believe, that on the third day he rose again. Now, sometimes um, there's a, I have a little bit of a history of drinking too much caffeine on Easter Sunday and uh, going off. But I want to tell you that there is a future part of the creed that says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Uh, and so today is going to be a little bit different on the resurrection of Jesus. And then when we get fast forward a few weeks, when we get to the resurrection of the body, I will drink too much caffeine and go off because that is really cool. Today, we're just looking at basically the history of what happened. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And, and what does that look like? Um, we're gathered today to celebrate the resurrection. Um, we gather every Sunday, really, to celebrate the resurrection. But as Jeremy mentioned, there is one day that happens. Uh, and in the Western, uh, the Western church, it, historically, the first Sunday after the full moon that occurs on or after the spring equinox, we celebrate what we call Easter. That's why Easter shifts every year, and there's not a set place for Easter. And if anybody tells you Easter's not an original Christian holiday, so let me tell you something. The only original Christian holiday is actually Halloween. Uh, the other two are Easter and Christmas are pagan holidays that Christians took and when they celebrated the winter solstice in the summer. No, the winter's not solstice. What is it? So spring is the solstice. What's winter? Spring is equinox, winter solstice? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, we have made it a, uh, this is the day that we celebrate the historical event of the resurrection. And this morning, again, we're going to do a little bit different, and I'm going to ask my lovely daughter to go ahead and come on up. And we're going to let 
Scripture, uh, she's home from college for the weekend, so I, I'm having her read for me. And she agreed to it, right? Okay. Um, we're going to allow Scripture to tell this story, a lot of it. I'm going to interrupt for a little bit to, um, to give some context and to tell you a little bit about what was going on and some things that are funny, some things that are amazing. But this story, as told in Scripture, is unbelievable, and what I want you to do is you're listening to what John records in John chapter 20. He records a beautiful story. You're going to hear some characters that you might be familiar with. You may have heard them before. You're going to hear a writing style that doesn't make sense if it's not actually recording the events that took place. You're going to hear things and go, okay, that's weird. Why did John and Peter race to the tomb? And why did John have to mention a few times that he's faster than Peter? This is... None of this makes sense unless it happened. And so we're going to allow for the most of this morning, with just a little interpretation uh, and a little commentary, we're going to allow Scripture to tell the story. So we're going to be in John chapters 20 and 21. If you want to follow along, we'll have it on the screen behind us, but also you can open up uh, your Bibles if you want to follow along in there. So, all right, Clara, go ahead. John 20 verses 1 through 18 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran away and went to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the, uh, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out to the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Now both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face, face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood, weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that they had carried him away. Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away, Jesus said to her. Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling for me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to the brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. All right. Mary Magdalene is, now the other Gospels will include some, uh, a, a few other women there, but Mary Magdalene is the first eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. A woman, a woman's testimony was not admissible in court. John, in that day, John is, is telling us that a woman uh, was the first eyewitness, not only the first eyewitness, but the first to proclaim uh, that Jesus has been risen from the dead. Not only that, but the woman is Mary Magdalene. 
Mary Magdalene, it's recorded in Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 16, she had seven demons cast out of her. Uh, now, we don't know what that means. Sometimes uh, in that day, the, the classification for uh, something along the lines of a mental illness, potentially even like a crippling depression or anxiety uh, or anything like that could have been referenced as a demon. Regardless of what was specifically there, Jesus came and healed her. But to say that, that Mary had a questionable um, reputation is, is, uh, is understating. Mary Magdalene, when she encountered Jesus, encountered something that she had never seen before. And he healed her. And she gave up everything after encountering love like that and followed him. And she came to the tomb, uh, Mary being, being the first one to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. When she came to the tomb, you're gonna see this over and over again. She came to do a job. It's the day after the Sabbath. Uh, she came to prepare the body of Jesus for burial, to unwrap him, to put the ointment, to put the perfume on him, and to prepare him for burial. She came fully expecting to find the body of Jesus still in the tomb. That's why she was there in the first place. In fact, she came to find, uh, presumably, she came to find the Roman soldiers who were put there to guard the tomb to ask them if they could help roll the stone away uh, that she could prepare the body of Jesus. And they weren't there, and neither was he. Uh, and yet, Mary, freed from demon possession, whatever that looked like, whatever that would have uh, presented her as in the community, a woman whose testimony would be questionable at least, every gospel writer presents as the first one to proclaim he is not here. He is risen from the grave, which doesn't make sense unless it happened. Let's keep going. Uh, beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this again, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I have seen his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe him. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have his life in his name. 
So here's what had happened. Some of the disciples were gathered. They were gathered in an upper room, and the doors were locked. Do you know why the doors were locked? Because they were scared. Do you know why the doors were locked? Because they were scared. Say they were scared. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they were locked because they were scared. Here's why they were scared. Before they were put to, before Jesus was put to death, or I'm sorry, right after Jesus died, the chief priests asked to have the tomb guarded in case the disciples came and stole the body away. The disciples were suspects number, well, numbers one through 11. We've got to do some technicalities there. One through 11 uh, for having come and stolen the body. And that would have been easy for them to, uh, uh, for them to blame it on the disciples. Not only that, but it's right after the crucifixion of Jesus, and you know you're, they're going to be hunting down his followers. It, and even the chief priest said, if, if the body is stolen, this last, uh, this last deception would be worse than the first one, if they were able to steal it away. And so they're locked in an upper room because they are scared. And twice, Jesus appears to them and walks through a locked door. Now, I, uh, I, anytime I try to talk science, I get way out of my league. So I don't know how Jesus, in a full human body, resurrected body, can simply part molecules that all they're doing is like going back and forth anyway and part them because he's not bound by time and walk through a wall in a resurrected full body. But somehow he does. And when Jesus appears to the disciples, he speaks these words to them. Peace. Every time Jesus appears, the most popular greeting that he has is peace be with you. For the follower of Jesus, peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of Jesus. Over a week later, they're trying to convince Thomas again that, he, that Jesus has appeared uh, and uh, that he has risen from the grave because he wasn't with them the first time. And he says, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus again walks through the wall somehow, I don't know how, and appears, and he speaks not condemnation to Thomas, but again, peace. And then he invites Thomas to put his finger into his hands and into his side. There's something profound about the resurrected body of Jesus that is glorious. He can walk through walls, and yet there are still holes in his hands and in his side. And another gospel records that after, he, after Thomas touches him, he asks for some fish, which is weird. Um... In light of our discussion last week where we talked about suffering, I think there's something to be said here. Um, I believe fully in the resurrection. I believe that one day we will rise and be fully new. And yet, there are still scars. And I do think there will still be scars in the resurrection. But they won't be as they once were. I don't know if we're going to understand everything. I don't know if we walk into eternity and we say, Jesus, why did this happen? And he said, well, this happened so that this will happen, this, 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 and then we trace it on down the line, and because of that, then here's everything. I don't know. I don't think we're going to get that depth of, of, of answers of how everything is connected. Um, I do think we will still see our scars and our wounds, but they will have meaning and purpose. 
we'll see them in a new and redeemed way. Our wounds and our hurts, even our rebellions, somehow, some way, will be offered as praise offerings to the one who came and bore our shame and bore our sin and the sins of the whole world and conquered sin and death. Let's keep going. Chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. This is getting into one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture. So the disciples, even, even ten days afterwards, they've seen Jesus a couple of times, and they are still distraught. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard or you've ever been taught, just trust Jesus and like everything's going to be okay. If you trust Jesus and you follow the rules, everything's going to be fine, your life's going to be great, A plus B equals C. And then you follow Jesus, you've done the right thing, and you find out that A plus B doesn't always equal C. Right? Anybody? Yeah. That's hard. The disciples have seen the resurrected Jesus twice already. He has spoken peace to them. He has demonstrated, I'm alive. And they're still distraught. And they're still filled with anxiety. And you know what they do? Peter's like, ah, I'm going fishing. Now, keep in mind, this is not how we say I'm going fishing, unless you are a commercial fisherman. And if you're a commercial fisherman around here, I'm not going to eat the things that you catch. Um, Peter's going to work. This is what he knows. This is what he does. He is filled with anxiety. He is filled with fear, and he's distraught. And he's like, I got I to gotta just do the things that I know. And the other disciples are like, we're going, we're going with you. Um, if you were going to, th this whole story just reeks of reality, doesn't it? If you were going to rewrite this narrative, some people say, well, the church in the, third, in the third century, fourth century, the church went back and rewrote everything. If you're going to rewrite everything, you're going to make the disciples look like heroes, not like distraught fools. Not like they don't know what to do, but like they were expecting this the whole time. And then Jesus appears on the shore, and they're about 100 yards out. I, I don't know if you swam 100 yards. That's significant swim, right? Um, they're about 100 yards out. And Peter, God bless him, the Chris Farley of the ancient world, <laughs> throws himself into the sea, right? One does not simply jump into the sea. 
he throws himself into the sea. Tell me John has a thing about Peter being overdramatic without John telling us he has a thing about Peter being overdramatic. This is take two for Peter. This is the second time this has happened. Peter's been out in the boat, and Jesus appears on the shore, and then he realizes initially that's Jesus and throws himself into the ocean. Now, the rest of the disciples are probably also excited, but somebody has to row the boat in. Um, and then, and then they get back to the shore. Is it good? Can you, oh, there we go. All right. <laughs> Beginning in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring us some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not yet torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it. It was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, honey. Um, I love the hope of Easter. And I really, really, really don't love the hype of Easter. Um, I don't mean that to sound like a pastoral tagline type thing. I just, I love the hope of Easter. Um, whenever I struggle or doubt or fear or get overwhelmed by the anxiety of the world or the weight of the world or the way things are going, it is this scene right here that I come back to. It is this scene that I sit in. And listen, I, I'm going to encourage you. I, I'm going to get excited when we talk about, I believe, in the resurrection of the dead. Um, but this one, it, it's, there's not like fireworks and laser shows and a big countdown and a, you know, let's go Jesus rally cry. It is so mundane except for one thing. The guy that we saw put to death brutally is now back. I want you to know, I, I don't, I, 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 I don't like, like I'm not going to force, I don't, I can't force you to believe anything, but I don't want to impose my views on you. And people go, oh, well, people impose their views on us. I don't care. I don't want to impose my views on you. But I, here's what I want to tell you. I am absolutely 100% fully convicted and convinced that Jesus of Nazareth actually rose physically from the grave. We can debate and discuss doctrine. We can discuss application. We can discuss science and philosophy and human systems and governments and whatever else you want to discuss. I am fully convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was brutally murdered and physically rose from the grave. The evidence for that is just too overwhelming. And it's this scene right here that gets me. Jesus walks out of the grave. He doesn't go to Caiaphas' house 
and singing like, how do you like me now? Uh, he doesn't, he, he's not out here like, hey guys, thanks. Remember when you ran in the garden? Thank you. Could have used your help about a week and a half ago. He doesn't come out and guilt them into anything. He doesn't even come out and say, if you love me, you'll pass this on to a hundred other people. He walks into a room where they are gathered in fear and anxiety and scared to death. And he walks in and he says, peace, I'm here. I love you. The promise my father gave you of I will never leave you nor forsake you, now you're finding out just how far that goes. The kingdom I talked about ushering in, this is only a preview. One day this will be fully. And then he stands on the shore in the quiet of the morning and prepares a meal and a warm fire and invites them to sit and dine with him. He prepares a table for them in the presence of their enemies. Fear, anxiety, worry, restlessness. I'm going to come back to the application on this point here, but I can't let... I just can't let the beauty and comedy of this exchange that Jesus now has with Peter go past us. In 21 verse 15, he says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There have been a ton of sermons about this restoration of Peter. Uh, did, he, did he affirm him three times or ask him three times in, rest, in restoration of, of Peter's three times in denial? And what were the Greek words? Did he go, do you really love me? Do you really, really love me? I... Maybe, maybe, but I also think there's a strong argument here, just Peter being Peter, right? Peter, do you love me? Uh-huh. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. And I have this feeling like Jesus is like, you want me to build my church on this guy? Peter, look me in the eyes. Do you love me? Yeah. And it's beautiful. And then Jesus is going to tell Peter what's going to happen to him, that he's going to die in a way similar to that one his Savior died. Verse 18, truly, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show Peter by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Now, this next part is amazing, and I think only goes to va validate why I think Peter just doesn't get anything. Peter is going to be absolutely transformed by the resurrection of Jesus, and he is still Peter. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John. 
the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it uh, that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about John? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so the saying spread amongst the disciples that John wasn't going to die. <laughs> Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Oh, I love Peter. Peter gives me hope. If you have some struggle with attention stuff here and there, Peter should give you hope. I love this. Peter, you're going to die for me. Ah. What about John? <laughs> and then there's actually an exclamation point in the text. What is that to you? And you know that Jesus is... Peter is going to wind up leading the disciples. We read this earlier in Acts chapter 2. Peter, when everybody has gathered for the Shavuot, uh, for the, the Feast of Pentecost, Peter preaches this amazing, powerful sermon that the Lord, that, that the Jesus that you crucified is actually the Messiah. And then they'll ask him, brothers, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Be forgiven. And he preaches this sermon and 3,000 people repent and change their allegiance to Jesus. Uh, Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 9, and then on in 10 and 11 and 12, it kind of tells the adventures of, Jesus, of Peter as he goes out. And Peter tells a paralytic to get up and walk, and then Peter even raises a dead woman from the grave and tells her to get up and walk. And then there's this story of Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion. Roman. Let that word be a bad word when, it, when you read it in Scripture, all right? Uh, at least in the, in the Gospels. The Romans were bad. They were the oppressors. And a Roman centurion is going to have a dream. Uh, he's a God-fearer. He's going to have a dream. And there's going to be an angel in this dream that says, call for this man, Peter. And so he gathers all his family together, and he asks Peter to come. And then Peter shows up, and, and he bows down to worship Peter. And Peter's like, I'm just a guy. Don't worship me. And then they inquire, and Peter tells them about the resurrection. Peter, who hated Romans, who was ready to go to war against the Romans, who thought probably that the battle would be the Jews against the Romans to overthrow the oppressors. And now here, Peter preaches the good news of grace and forgiveness to a Roman centurion. And the whole family is baptized. This is the same Peter that threw himself into the water that is like, what about John? This is the same guy. Absolutely transformed. Becomes the, bishop of Rome, of, uh, uh, becomes the bishop of the church, the early bishop of the church. It's a common belief in church history. Scripture doesn't tell us this, uh, other than Jesus kind of hinting toward it, that Peter was eventually martyred in Rome and refusing to die in the same manner as his Savior, he requested to be crucified upside down. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he refers to himself often, John, sure enough, is going to die a natural death. According to church history, the only one of the disciples that will die a natural death. 
And yet he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos at the end of his life where he has the vision for the book of Revelation. This, if you ever read through the Gospels and want some hope, and you're like, man, I feel messed up, and you ever want some hope, read the stories of the disciples. This ragtag group of misfits, they could not get it right. Every time Jesus teaches something, he has to stop and explain it to them. And then he has to calm them down. And they go up to the Mount uh, of Transformation where Jesus is like transfigured, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is like glowing before them. And on the way down, they get an argument about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They don't get it. And yet their lives are radically transformed, not because Jesus dared them to go do something. There's a lot of hype around Easter, and, and that's okay, all right? It, it grinds me, but I get over it. I don't get over it. It grinds me, but I'm, I'm, learning, I'm learning to um, cope better. Um, and it seems like a lot of, in our day, a lot of what is following Jesus has become more of like a dare. I dare you to do great things for Jesus. I dare you to get out there and tell somebody about Jesus. I dare you to get up on your lunch table in the middle of the room and shout that you love Jesus. I dare you, I don't know if you've seen it, I dare you to get on an airplane and sing worship songs to Jesus. I don't know if anybody's seen the video. It's whatever. Um, listen, I've been, I've been guilty of this. There's times when we can push, right? The, follow, the call to follow Jesus is a call to absolute radical loving of other people. It is a call to love people that you disagree with, and there is a lot to lay down here. Um, and there's a lot to shed for this, the Americanized type of Christianity that, that we've been seduced into. But there is a room for that. There is room for us to be transformed and to go out into our world. But I'm willing to bet, if you're like me, in this moment, in this season, in this time of life, what you might need most is not necessarily this dare to go transform the world for Jesus. What you might need most is this invitation to just be with Jesus. To hear the peace of Jesus. To, to smell the charcoal and feel the warmth of the fire by the seaside, the cool breeze of the morning, and in all of your anxiety and fear and worry, to hear the voice of your Savior saying, Peace. I am here. I love you. Come and sit by me in the cool of the morning and eat. I've prepared the meal. Just come and sit. Come and be with me. Listen, the good news of Jesus is not first to go and change the world. In fact, one thing that we say around here all the time is we don't win the world for Jesus. Jesus won the world for himself when he walked out of the grave. We bear witness, not to a Jesus that we don't know, but to a Jesus who has invited us to sit with him in the cool of the morning and feast on what he has provided. The good news of the gospel is first that you are loved. John's gospel ends this way. He said, this is the disciple 
who is bearing witness about these things. John's talking about himself, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And friends, let's finish with this. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Jesus, you have risen from the grave, and yes, that makes me want to shout and sing and cry out. And then tomorrow is Monday. (laughs) And so this morning, I pray that we would celebrate well. Today, that we would celebrate well. That we would rejoice in the good times, rejoice in the celebration and the singing and dancing, but also rejoice in the day-to-day, the mundane, that you have risen from the grave, that you went in and conquered the land of the dead and walked out with the keys, and we are no longer held captivity. We have been freed because of your good grace and mercy. Holy Spirit, work in this room, work in our hearts and our minds uh, to either reveal to us our deep need for you or to affirm in us that you have called us by name, made yourself known, and that we can trust you and continue to walk in faith. And if you've risen from the grave, then nothing else matters. And if you have not risen from the grave, then nothing else matters. May we find our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.